Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Jarrell Mason, a.k.a. Jay Mason. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Album Cover, where we get inside the entertainment industry with those in the know and giving them their flowers while they're here to be celebrated. With me right now, I have no stranger to the podcast, Mr. Soul Effect, back in the building of R&B Soul Effect TV. Welcome back again, bro. Well, hey, man. Glad to be back, man. I can't believe it. It wasn't been like... Uh... About like what was like five six months ago or something like that. Yeah, it's been a been a good minute, man, and I'm still waiting on my Grippo chips and some of those other Kentucky delicacies, bro. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I put I put like this, man. You know, like when you come to Louisville, man, I got you, bro. I bet I'm gonna definitely have to take you up on that um, when I go visit the Bluegrass State. So I brought you back onto the podcast because we're gonna talk about a landmark album that this year turns forty, best selling album of all time. Second best-selling album in the U.S. Only number one was the Eagles' greatest hits. But Michael Jackson's Thriller, the impact that this album has made, not only in the recording industry, but in the world, cannot be matched again. And we're going to talk about the history of this album, the legacy of this album, track-by-track analysis, and just have a good time just talking shop. So when was the first time that you heard Thriller? Man, the first time I heard Thriller, uh, my mother told me, well, I had to be like, well, about like one years old, but I won't say the first time I heard it, but I saw it, I was about like three years old the first time. Because at that time, man, in the 80s, dude, you could not go nowhere without hearing, you know, Michael Jackson's album, Thriller, at that time. You know, besides Bad, I mean, it was just like, he was a social media before social media at that time. And I, I instantly became a fan of Michael Jackson. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was about right around the same age, one to three years old, when I first heard Thriller. It was after Bad, which released in 87, so I had to go back and dig deep. But just to think about how that album produced seven singles, all of them hit the Billboard Top 10. And I think one of the things that Michael, along with Quincy Jones, did very well was sequencing and they had the ability to have most of their songs on those albums be strong to where it was take your pick it was going to be a lead single and it was going to be a hit yeah absolutely man because i mean dude i mean to have three number one rb hits and what like three number one hot 100s in a in, in, a, in a couple of you know top 10 you know hot 100 singles and stuff man i mean that album, man, I mean, it's crazy. Here it is, man. You know, 40 years later, that album still resonates. And it's like, no matter how many albums Michael did after that, greatest hits, whatever, that album stays in flow rotation. And here it is, man. You know, the album number one, I forgot what, I think it was Apple Music or something like that. But, you know, the album, man, still kicking ass more than albums, man, that's been around for a short period of time. Right, and let's set the stage for the listeners and viewers for what the music industry was like pre-Thriller's release. Uh, the music industry was in a recession or getting ready to go into a recession at the time. Black artists were only regulated to R&B radio. Rarely did it get any pop airplay. And while Off the Wall, which was released in 79, was a critical success, commercially, Michael felt that that album underperformed and I believe he was mad at the fact that it really didn't get the pop reach that he felt it should have gotten because it was regulated to the R&B soul categories at the major awards. And his primarily motivation for Thriller was to make an album that would cross over. 
Yeah. And, and people don't realize at that time, you know, black artists were segregated because only time you see a black artist on a white platform was like Berkey Bandstand and the Johnny Carson talk show and the Michael Douglas and stuff like that. And uh and at that time, you know, black artists was limited to to, you know, even do that. And, and uh around that time, I wanna say cause with video soul, you know, came on BT was already out first, but video soul came out like in '83. And uh, there wasn't MTV wasn't trying to put no black artists on their station and stuff. And then, uh, and then at that time, uh, you know, when you know uh, when Thriller came out, you know, it's crazy uh, when the album got pushed. Michael thing was like, how can I get on there and stuff? That's when the that's when that song uh, beat it came out, and it just took off, man. Next you know you had Prince, you had everything else, you know, blowing up. But what was so weird about that, man? It's like you had a black VJ that worked for MTV, and he didn't do nothing about it, man. Mm -hmm. The yeah. late J.J. Jackson. And um, I had a chance to interview Nina Blackwood and asked her that very question about MTV's lack of black artists during that time period. And it was pretty much stated that, you know, MTV was pretty much modeling themselves after AOR Radio, I'm Already in Rock, or Top 40, because a lot of those uh, DJs that came on to MTV as VJs during the early years had experiences in those formats. So typically the R&B side of things wasn't really looked at until pressure came in from certain label heads. And I don't know if you've seen the archival interview with David Bowie getting interviewed by Mark Goodman. He was grilling him about MTV's yeah. lack of black artists on their platform and pretty much he gave the company line answer saying, well, MTV is only catering to this demographic. You know, somebody in the Midwest is going to be terrified of Prince. And then let's not let's let us not also forget Rick James bringing it up in various industry trades about how MTV's lack of exposure for black artists was like apartheid where you're on the back of the bus and the only exposures black artists were getting at the time was from either your regional video shows that showcased R&B artists, BET, and later on, VH1, which played more R&B artists than MTV before everybody else yeah. over there got on board. Yeah, because, you know, if you do see a Black artist, you know, on a white station, it'd be like 12 o'clock at midnight, <laughs> 3 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, it, it, it is a trip because my thing is like, you create a network, you create a, you know, you create this platform and you want the worldwide audience to watch what you're doing, but you're not pleasing them to give them what they want. Come out there like, it's okay, that's cool, we got the rock, but what about R&B, what about folk, what about jazz? And it is crazy, man, to this day, you know, cause I remember when, uh, when Bill Belly was hosting MTV and they was trying to remove R&B and hip hop about it there. And, and artists was thanking Bill Bellamy, man, for keeping the videos on MTV, premiering it and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it's 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 crazy, man, you know, how how, how the network was. Because my thing like this, you know, they want the black dollars, they don't want the black artists on their network. And to me, that's a pretty slap in the face. So I'm glad that Michael and, and everybody, you know, broke down the doors for that, man, because uh, uh, I think, you know, I, I guess it came to realization, you know, like, you know what, you know, if we keep doing this, then, then you know, if if, if if MTV never allowed it, MTV would never even exist until this day. That, it'll be the network that, that, that pretty much came and went. 
But uh, I think, you know, what, what came to realization for them was like when they prepare a thriller, then that's when it just, that's when they started making that money. It just took off like the way it did, man. Right. And it, it, it helped a lot of artists in between. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about how big an event that was the world premiere of Thriller. It was to where if you missed it the initial time, they aired it several times throughout the evening. Then it later got into heavy rotation. And then they aired the behind the scenes of the video, which added even more hype to the video. And it changed the way music videos were made because it was a short film, basically. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's crazy, you know. Uh, you know, at that time, you know, it was about, what, about like 25% of, well, like, let me narrow it down. I want to say maybe like 15% of Black artists were doing videos, but it was like more like 80, 80, 85% of Black artists that was that was doing singles, but they were shooting videos. And then uh, when, then by the time Michael was doing videos and stuff, you know, it, it pretty much helped, you know, it pretty much motivated artists to go their route. But 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 the record labels realized like look you know we gotta start shooting videos we just, we just can't just put out singles it's not like how it is now with the internet you just put out singles and stuff ain't worried about no video back then in order to sell you had to you know saying put something out there and stuff and Michael changed the game because if it was for Michael Jackson creating a short film all these artists would never be creative like that man and Michael was ahead of his time but anyway but 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 running back to Thriller. It was different, man, because uh, even though that was a short film, it felt like a two-hour movie and stuff about a man and a woman, and he had a secret, secret you know, he wanted to tell her. He loves the girl he's with, but he's like, you know, I'm not this nice guy, you know, wants to wants to moon rise and stuff, you know, I'm, I'm something else. It was actually a werewolf. But at that time, man, when Thriller came out, dude, I mean, dude, I mean, that bad boy, man. I mean, you could not go nowhere, man, without seeing. It. I mean, when MTV premiered it, BT premiered it, VH1 wasn't wasn't around yet. That came out like in '86 or something like that. But at that time, man, I mean, dude, I mean, he was like all over the place, man. I mean, they even had they had Michael and uh, was it uh, uh like the stamps, you know, like you mail off your mail and stuff. They had him in that Time Magazine. I mean. He was everywhere, man. And uh, a short film like that, man, took things to a whole different level. And uh, yeah, man, you know, it's, it's it's crazy, man. You know, that, I mean, I, I'll put it this way. If you if we would have had an air day back then, air day would have froze <laughs> for months <laughs> because of that. Yeah, that definitely would have been a when the internet broke moment along with him doing the moonwalk for the first time at Motown 25. Right. Now, the video was directed by John Landis, who directed American Werewolf in London. And within the video, you had three of the corpses. They were integrating, popping and locking because this was right around the time when hip hop was still in its infancy and a lot of people still saw it as a fad. And this is where, you know, you got to give Michael credit where he saw the elements of hip hop, the dancing and said, let me incorporate this, bring it to a mass audience because there were dancers that were doing it before him, the moonwalk, which was called the backslide at the time, primarily uh, Jeffrey Daniels, formerly of uh, Shalimar, was doing that over there. And then when Michael learned it from him and some of the other street dancers, he perfected it. And then, like I said earlier, Motown 25, people were like jaw dropped because they'd never seen the street 
being brought to the masses right. like that. Yeah, because you know, Michael be the first artist to have Crips and Bloods in his video and stuff. I think it was more Crips, and I think it was like a sprinkle of Bloods in his video. And because it's one thing, you know, he could have easily got some dancers to play some gangsters, but at the same time, it's like if you try to get some dancers to play gangsters, and they like now, nah, like they look too feminine, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so and if you want that street life and stuff, you want this and that, then you got to bring some tough guys who look street. So mm -hmm. Michael did right of uh, bringing, you know, the actual Crips in the video and stuff. And uh, and that pretty much changed the culture of the game, you know, because when you look at this short, uh, I mean, look at that video, it looks so realistic, you know what I'm saying? And, and Michael's vision at that time, man, he was so far ahead of his time. He want not just the music to be what it is, he wants the videos to be on point, you know, to make it feel realistic. You know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. you're watching some movie clip and stuff, and you want to rewind it so many times. And Michael was ahead of his time, man. And artists at that time wasn't even thinking like that. All they think about was write a good song and, and keep it moving. Michael, you know, he was a visionary, man, because we look at his videos that he put his work in for Blame on the Boogie with his brothers. That was the Kickstarter of it. You know, all that you know, special effects and everything, all that was what to come, and that's what incorporated what he done for the solo years. But um, but yeah, man, beat it, man. You know, even though it's just a story and stuff, but looking at it, it makes you feel like, you know, like, dang, like, you know, like, what's going to happen next? And, mm -hmm. you know, to have a video to have you all on his toes, that's saying a lot, man. Right. Really Right, and in the beat video, I believe we have cameos from Soul Train dancer Cheryl Song and also Michael yeah. DeLorenzo, who was on Fame at the time. He was a dancer who appeared in other videos like Alexander O'Neill's Fake. He later went on to Fame playing Eddie Torres in New York Undercover. Yep. Yeah, man, it's crazy, man, you know, because there was a lot of stars in that video, man, because when I was a kid, I didn't really pay attention to it, but looking back, I'm like, hey, they just sure was in there. They sure was in the video, and, uh, Oh, God, what's his brother's name, man? He used to imitate Michael Jackson all the time, but this brother, they, he's an actor, too. Um, his name was Stoney Jackson. He had that Jerry Curl kind of Oh, like yeah, yeah, I know you're talking about. He was on 227, Angels in the Outfield. And I forgot the name of the movie, but um, Dan Hartman did a song, I Can Dream About You, which was off the soundtrack of that movie. Yep, he was in that, man. And, uh, you know, at those times, people don't realize, you know, people was trying to find work. You know, it's like if you're a soul trade dancer and stuff, and back then you had agencies, you know, coming to these platforms and, you know, looking for talent and stuff. And uh, and people was looking for some active work, for some checks, you know, people get paid, you know, doing videos or going on tour and stuff. And and and, and people don't realize Soul Train never paid. I mean, all that you get, all that you get off of that was 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 a fried was a KFC chicken and a can of pop. A can of soda. That's it. <laughs> that's all you gonna get from there. But uh, but yeah, man. But but running back to Thriller, I'm, I'm gonna tell you what's so funny about that. I was telling my girlfriend about this. Looking at Thriller, it looks so intense, man. Every scene looks so intense, man. Like you, you know, you feel like something's gonna happen because even as a kid, it just the energy that Michael had and Ola Ray had and and the people that was involved into it, man. I mean, I, I mean. You would never see a short film that looks so intense like that. And and even though you love it, but you feel like something's going to happen. And then when it does, it just takes it to a different level, man. 
Uh, oh, I'm going to tell you this too, man. You probably peeped it out. You know, they had that 4K version of Michael Jackson Thriller mm-hmm. where they're like, clear, they, they edit the screen, make it look more like it just happened recently. Right. Yeah, when I saw that, man, I tripped me out, but I said, wow, man, that screen looked more clearer and stuff. And it didn't, it didn't say they forbid it. And I said, if Michael was alive, man, he would love this whole digital era and stuff. Yeah, definitely that because, of course, back then everything was only standard definition. And this was probably before most TVs went to stereo where you were still on mono. So the technological advancements in between the 40 years from the making of the album and those videos to now can really bring bring to life the vision that Michael had for that album and for those videos. Because if you look at music videos prior to uh, what was released from Thriller, it was to where the artist would just go, shoot a video. There was no concept, no story, no nothing. Michael sat down and made sure that I want this video to tell a story. Yeah, because if you think about it, man, like for like the late 70s, and then by the time the early 80s, when uh, before Thriller came out, Arts was was like, they would shoot a video, it'd be like on a stage, or uh, like the background be all black and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and you see little special effects here and there, you know, you don't really see a whole lot. And, and our people was used to seeing that. But I think, you know, after all the while, Mike was kind of like, you know what? What I did was cool to rock with you, don't stop till you get enough, and, and she's out of my life. But you know, he, you know, he, I, I think, you know, what, what really took the iceberg when he did Can You Feel It, that's when he was like, you know what, when I do my album, it's going to be out of this world. And that's what he did to make it look more, uh, uh, you know, have more substance into it, make it look more realistic, you mm-hmm. know, without being corny and stuff. And, right. and uh, you know, you would never see nothing like that, man. Right. And we also got to factor in, too. He had the muscle behind him with uh, Epic and Columbia, and he was getting those pop dollars where if you were just regulated into the R&B department, your budget was going to be smaller than what the pop department was getting, which therefore played a role into what you could do with a video, and it could kind of sort of limit your reach in a way as well. Yeah, because, like, you know, it's crazy because, like, when, uh, when the album was selling, by the time that short film came out, CBS slash Epic Records, they had to uh, produce out more copies of that album because people was buying them up, man, left and right and stuff. And then for an album to go number one for 37 weeks from February 83 up until like, what was it, uh, uh, January 84 or something like that, man, that's incredible, man. I mean, for the album to do what it did. And then on top of that, man, to, for the album to break so much records. And that's when, you know, labels had to realize, like, you know, whatever album takes off, we got to keep printing our copies. We just can't just print out uh, a half a million dollars. We got to keep <laughs> keep it going because then it was a big deal, man. And, and, and like, I'm glad that uh, Michael tied a thriller because had we would have tied a starlight, I don't think that album would have done what, it, what it's supposed to do. It probably been a commercial flop. Uh, it probably would have. I believe. I, I believe that it wouldn't live up to what we see today and stuff. Right, and then let's back up for a quick minute. Um, for like I said, off the wall came out in '79. He right. was despondent about it, only getting R&B appeal, not the crossover appeal. And Rolling Stone refused to run a cover on him at that time because their mindset was black artists don't sell magazines. Black artists don't cross over to pop. And then once 
thriller hit and it became the hit that it became, you had to respect that album. But I want to talk about now the secret sauce of that right. album. This one person that I think music heads, you know who he is. General public may not know who he is. And that's the late great Rod Temperty from uh, Heat Wave. Yeah, because, you know, I tell you, man, to this day, uh, Rolling Stones, man, they still racist because no matter how good a black artist, when they produce albums out, they always want to see it given one and a half stars or two and a half stars. You try to make it look good. But here it is. Let it be a white artist. They give it, they give it four, four straight stars or five stars, you know, call it all. But it's the greatest album since Elvis Presley and this and that, this and that. And it, to me, it's, it's a pure slap in the face, man. You know, it's like you won't. The black people to buy your magazine, but you won't put a black artist on the cover and stuff. Here it is, off the wall, man. That album sold twenty million fucking copies worldwide, man. And and then for you guys, man, to not put them on the cover, that's a pretty slap in the face and stuff. Because even though we had our freedom, because freedom they really set into like seventy two. That's when we had. That's when we finally got had a freedom. We got a chance to go places where we want to go with. It wasn't no okay. Blacks only here. Whites only there, so we was able to go wherever you want to go in. But yeah, because when the eighties came in, that's when everything was start to started slow to get free, because seventies was based off what sixties left off it, and and uh, <clears throat> you know for Michael, you know he was determined. Instead, he'll be like, okay, you know, I just go ahead and keep it moving. Michael's like, nah, man, you know, you're not about to sit here and and be little me, you know, you guys, you know, so I'm gonna make sure my foot's in the door. Mm -hmm. and that's the truth right and then also too Walter Yetnikoff who was the head of Columbia Epic CBS at the time played hardball with MTV and said hey you don't play Michael I'm pulling every last video from the library off the roster until you do yeah man (laughs) it got that much power like that man you know because you know my thing like this you know like no matter what you create it's always somebody over you could shut you down just like that. They had no choice and stuff. Because if it was for Michael Jackson, it would be no MTV, your, your MTV routes. It definitely would be no club MTV, none of that. Because Michael, you know, he was, you know, he, and, 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 and people don't realize this too, you know, Michael took pride in who he was as a black man. He was, you know, he was uh, proud of who he was as a person. But you know, Michael wanted to make sure that our people, you know, had a gateway in to open those doors for a lot of it and stuff. Because if it wasn't for him, Whitney Houston never got plays like that. His little sister Janet would never got that type of love. Do addition, Mike Brown, uh, the list goes on and stuff. You know, Michael really opened a lot of doors, man. But they still, they, they don't want to give our people credit of what we create. Yeah, you know, here it is, man. We created rock and roll, but they don't want to recognize that. We created country, they don't want to recognize that. You know, we created all these other platforms besides R&B. They don't want to give us our due. It's like, how are you going to have rock and roll but you're going to put no black artists on there? And we created that, man. That's mm-hmm. a pure slap in the face. Definitely a pure slap in the face. And Michael knew the game. And he wanted to make sure everybody that came behind him knew the game too. So that way, you don't get jerked. Facts. Because, you know... That's what I like about Michael. You know, he was ahead of his time, man. He definitely was. He don't get the type of credit he deserved and stuff because, you know, when you create something, our people love it. And then the other side be like, that's not good enough. 
And what made the bad part about it, even our, even our people today would try to bandwagon it off of it. They'd be like, no, that's not good enough. No matter what you do for our community, it's never good enough. And they would try to find ways to, you know, slander you for all of our reasons and stuff. And and my thing like is what tripped me up about MTV, like how can you sit here, go from Michael Jackson Vanguard Award to always say MTV Vanguard? Now keep that as Michael Jackson. Cause you can sit here trying to erase whatever, but you can't erase what that man brought to your table. And he made y'all buddy, he made everything. And that's the best appearance slap in the face. But yeah, but running back to thriller. Uh, you know, man, I tell you, dude, uh, when it comes to having conversations with, you know, the greatest albums of all time from a black artist, Thriller's always in a conversation. You can't have a conversation without mentioning Thriller. You know, you don't have to be the biggest fan of Michael Jackson, but you got to talk about that. It's like, if it was for Thriller, it would be no Bobby Brown, Don't Be Cruel. It would be no Usher Confessions. Uh, even Janet was inspired by her mother, you know, to be creative and, and make the type of music what she's doing today and stuff. Uh, you know, the list goes on and stuff. So that album, man, did everything it was supposed to do. Right. And it was one of those albums where if you're in radio promotions, you can work it to multiple formats. Just take a pick of your single, be like, okay, I'm going to go work this for r and I'm going to go work this for Top 40. I'm going to work this record for rock. It was a win-win for all parties because it was an album where... Mm. I can listen to it and be a fan and appreciate it. I can listen yep. to this album, be a fan, and not have to have that stigma like, oh, it's the R&B album only. Oh, it's a pop album only. Oh, it's <laughs> a rock leaning album only. It just kind of erased those invisible lines that the music industry try to place on people in terms of yep. likes and how just because you're this persuasion, you're not supposed to like that type of music. And I think Michael's yeah. thriller erased those barriers. It did, man, because that album had different layers. And people don't realize this, you know, Michael was very conscious of the type of music he, you know, had on his album. Because when I listen to the songs that was supposed to be on the album, and I'd be like, you know what? It makes sense because people don't realize he recorded over 500 songs, man, to, to, to pick what would be perfect for that album? 500 songs to jot it down to die. That's, that's saying something because uh, each song off of Thriller had different layers. I mean, Baby Mine, Wanna Be Started Something, uh, Pretty Young Thing, Thriller, Beat It, uh, Human Nature, Lady of My Life. You know, each song in the album was different. And, 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 uh, and the album make you feel some type of way and stuff. Artists of today that's independent, they don't even don't they don't even think like that, man. I mean, no offense to you know to these independent artists that's been around for you know a decade or so, but you know when they record a lot of songs, they don't ever think like that because as an artist, you know, you got to think from a fan perspective and a business perspective because if you want people to buy your records, you you got to think like, okay, I recorded a song, I, I want to create a song where a fan got to get it right away. You know, fans got to have it. That's how Michael Jackson felt. Because, you know, his thing was, I just can't make this any type of song. The song has to make sense, not just to me, but to the public and stuff, you know. And that's what it's all about. You know you know, you know, know, you got a hit when you got a two-year-old dancing to your music as well as a, a seven-year-old dancing to your music. That's saying something. Right, because the opening track off of Thriller, I believe, is want to be starting something, and it just immediately hits you right in the face. And to me, 
that's the key when you make a record. I say have your strong songs up at the front. You can maybe put your album cuts, your filler records towards the middle, then end it with some more strong records because that album clocked in at a little over 42 minutes, but you can listen to it 42 minutes straight, straight, and it was no drop-off, strong. It was not a time where you felt like you wanted to skip a track. Right, yeah, because... You know, artists don't think like that because especially if you put an album together, you want to start it with a powerful track. If you're going in a, in a ballad direction, you know, you you know, I always say that start off with an intro to lead up to that. You know, saying I'll lead up to a powerful track because you just start with a powerful track. It be even people want to get up and dance, or whatever you know. And Michael was definitely a visionary to uh, put that together, man, and 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 to have every song, man. You know, take on it the way it is, you know, because if when people think of thriller, they think about that short film as far as the title of it. But thriller means that every song is a thriller. Every song's gonna hit you left and right, right to left. You're like, oh man, you know, like I can't I can't skip over one song. Every song is 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 is, is bad, man. I love it. So mm-hmm. every song, you know, off that album is a thriller. Not 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 the self title, not because of the because the track on there, but you know, you want every song. It's like it's like if you made an album called So Amazing, you want every song sound so amazing because it, it makes you feel some type of way. And Thriller, you know, it hit different. Mm-hmm. And see, artists don't think like that, man. You know, you know, when you're an artist, you want people to, you know, uh, you want to leave people with a great impression about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's and you, yeah, and you said he recorded about five hundred songs or more before narrowing it down to the final nine. And to just think of all the vocal outtakes that have been released when, with the reissues and all of the extended editions. And I don't know if you've seen this recently. Somebody had posted the vocal outtakes from Thriller when he was lining up the vocals for the chorus and the bridge of the song and how yeah. he did all the multi-tracking himself to do all the individual parts and combine it all together where it sounded as one to think about how talented he was to where I'm going to produce my own vocals and have it so to where you would get the effect where it's a choir where it's just me. Yeah, because yeah, because I you know I was looking at one of his uh interviews with the engineer guy, I can't think of his name, he passed away, guy rest his soul. Uh, Bruce Sweden. Bruce Sweden, and he said we were making a thriller. He said the song beat it. He said, "Man, not beat. It. I mean, uh, Billy J. They went over like close to eight hundred times <laughs> over certain words because he want to make sure certain words fit for that song and stuff. You know, it's like being a rapper and you say, you know, like you say a punchline. You know, it's like saying like if I made a song and I'm over here dissing somebody, but like you know, like I put two shots to your dog because I'm a true vet. Talk about the dog." take it to the uh, uh, veterinarian, but instead of saying in that type of proper way, I'm saying in a street way and stuff. And and with Michael, you know, he want to make sure that each word, you know, fit it perfectly and stuff. And to go over and run it back, run it back, man, you know, he was definitely conscious about that. I don't think RC even, you know, ours of today don't even think like that, man. You know, so don't even get close to it. That's only maybe a sprinkle, but you know, to be conscious of every word you say. I mean, because Michael wanted to make sure, you know, he had he had high energy, making sure uh, each track 
each part of the word stood out. And, and that's that's incredible, man, to, to even think like Because, see, Michael was thinking from – Michael was very, you know, critical to how he was. And sometimes as an artist, you got to be judgmental who you are. You got to be your own worst critic, you know. Or we think it should be out there, or we think it should be added on or removed. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, he definitely wasn't the type where he was putting out stuff just to put out. He was very conscious of what he was putting out and very, very meticulous in the studio, which for some people could be almost obsessive to where you never feel like it's enough. But if yeah. you want to be great at what you do, you got to be that way. You know, Beyonce's that way. Prince was that way. We could go down the list of all the greats who were that anal with everything that they did that it just had to be perfect to them before it comes out because you don't want to put out no trash because you're thinking about, hey, I'm making a masterpiece and somebody's spending their hard-earned money to buy this album. So I want to make sure that is right. Yeah, and some some artists as well today, man, they, they, they like told Dev, it's like they see what you and I see is the opposite. And and stuff because like whatever a song is sent to me by email, and I and I could tell if, if it's a hit or miss the way an artist delivered, and I give them my feedback, you know. And if if if, if I felt like a song is is not living up to where it's supposed to be, then I give my feedback and I tell them what they need to run it back or need to add or whatever, you know what I'm saying? But if a song sounds like it's on point, I'm like, okay, that's the go. But you gotta be conscious about yourself because they like you call yourself an artist. You put it out there on social media. So, and people want to see what the hype is about, about mm -hmm. that. Right. And the one thing that I like that Michael did a lot of was he was a willing collaborator with people, you know, um, like, you know, Quincy Jones did, of course, Off the Wall, Thriller, Bad. You had Steve Carroll who co-wrote Human Nature with Michael, um, Steve Carroll from the group Toto. I believe James yeah. Ingram, uh, I believe he co-wrote PYT, I believe he did. Yeah, yeah, PYT, he did that. Yeah, he, he did that. So Michael allowed people to come in with different ideas and say, hey, let's all make this a collaborative effort. So what do you think it was about the magic that him and Quincy did on that album that just really sent it to the moon? Coming off you the know, success that they did on Off the Wall. Yeah, I think, you know, because... People was doubting him, and that happens to a lot of artists as well. You know, you, you're not as good as you was the first one. And, and you know, Michael kept hearing that so much, and Michael was like, you know what? I'm going to show them, you know, I can outdo what I did on the last one. And that pretty much set him to motion, you know, to really take it to the next level and stuff, you know. And, you know, to have a grade of team writers, engineers and stuff, you know, and he proved that. He made them look dumb. And stuff, you know, because after he topped off the wall, he had nothing to prove after that. You know, he did everything what was supposed to happen and stuff. And for this for the sale to take off like the way it did, man, that's crazy because nobody think that that album was gonna do what it's supposed to do. You know, I mean, only God knows that type of answer and stuff, you know. But I think uh Michael was so driven, you know, when uh what's that his uh Jackie said that Michael used to write on the wall. You know, I was gonna sell a hundred million copies. He was determined for it to sell that many, you know. And for him to be credible like that, that's saying a lot. Right. He had had a vision, and like you mentioned earlier, the album spent 37 weeks at number one 
and it broke records in terms of awards. It won eight Grammys, then it won yeah. eight American Music Awards, and I believe there was an article or something done either at the time or a little bit after that uh, one in three homes owned that album. We'll never see the likes of that again where one in three homes owned that album. It was not only to where it was a U.S. phenomenon, it was a worldwide phenomenon. I mean, just go back and look at the clips of Michael going to different places around the world and how you had to get security by that country's army. Yep. I mean, that country's army, not no regular security guards. I'm talking about the army of whatever country he was visiting. That's how big yeah. Michael was. Yeah, Michael was like God, man. Because you go in any country, I mean, any country, they know who Michael Jackson is. You never know, any artist, they you know, they probably be like, who? Michael was well known, like, like saying, you know, like, do you, do you know God? Do you know Jesus? Mm. And they would say, yeah, that's how big Michael was. I mean, he was just so phenomenal, you know, about that. It's crazy, you know, how that album took off like the way it, it, it did and stuff. Because, I mean, uh, you know, that album, man, you know, it, it's, it's crazy because uh, MTV they did a whole uh, thing on Michael Jackson and, uh, when they were showing like the behind the scenes of Thriller, and then uh, they did like a whole replay thing of it and stuff. That's when magazines start stepping their game up, more television ever start stepping their game up, and everything. Because uh, what was it, 1984? So this is before the Victory Tour took off. He won a Guinness Book World Record at that time, like the early part of '84 and stuff. And uh, man, that was crazy, man. You know, to be the first black artist to ever do that, man. Right, and you mentioned the Victory Tour, how that album pretty much set the stage for that, but I know there was some controversy with that tour because they didn't yeah. sell individual tickets. It was done via a block system, like a lottery system, and you had to yeah. almost be in a drawing to get those tickets. Don King, I believe, was the promoter of the tour at the time, and then they landed that sponsorship with Pepsi, and how when that tour hit, you had the brothers, Plus Michael, who was at his height, Thriller at his height. So you're getting a win-win where, hey, I get to see the brothers back together, but I'm also going to get the Michael Jackson show with Thriller cuts in between the group numbers. Yeah, because, and I hate to say it, like, no offense to, uh, you know, the uh, the, the album Victory, but people was looking more for it. People was looking forward to Michael's, you know, performing the Thriller album. That's how big it was, because I, I felt like the Victory Tour and the album got overshadowed by that. I felt like, you know, victory, the Victory album could have happened, you know, maybe like in 85 or something like that, because mm -hmm. when the album is over successful, the album's going to stay hot like that for like two or three years or whatever and stuff, because from the end of 82 all the way through 84 was all about Michael mm -hmm. and stuff. And uh, the album was still on fire, man. But at the same time, I'm glad that Michael did perform those records uh, from, from Thriller because people got a chance to see the magic happen. And Pepsi, man, they was on the left to right, man. I remember uh, he was on uh, uh, Word Up magazine. He did a cover of FCS's magazine. He was dressed like in the in, in a crowd. This is before Michael was even called the King of Pop. And he dressed up as like the black king, you know, in that cover. And that cover was powerful, man. Especially it being an all-black magazine. That's how huge it was. People don't even talk about that. So uh, he was mentioned as the king of pop one time through the thriller era. But it didn't really happen until the bad era. That's when they started calling him that. But yeah, you know, I mean, for a man 
that wasn't even 30 yet, man. I mean, just whooping everybody's ass on charts, man. That's that's huge, man. Right. And in the in the thing, you know, coming from Gary, Indiana, and Gary, Indiana, if you know, it ain't the easiest place to grow up in, especially back during that time period. Gangs was running around, but you know, Mr. Joe Jackson had a vision for all the kids. Like, hey, this is gonna be our ticket out. And yep. he saw it with his boys and later Janet and how he could say, hey, I produced one of the biggest stars in the world. Yeah, man. I tell you, though, Joe had a visionary, man. Regardless of people say about him, you know, he had a vision. That dude was so far ahead of his time, man. You know, he, people say the one was saying, but he was the type of person, you know, he was like, let me deal with the BS. Y'all focus on being an artist. He said, I got the rest and stuff. And, you know, he took care of them, you know, until they, you know, they uh, broke free, you know, saying from them. But if it was for Tito picking up that guitar, I don't think we would have had, you know, what we had today on Michael Jackson, on the Jackson 5, even Janet alone, mm. uh, even Jermaine and, and Reby and stuff, you know, because uh, it's crazy how Tito played the guitar and Joe's vision took off like the way it did. Two situations that, Went straight to orbit, man. And uh, I tell you, man, you know, when uh, I didn't forget with, well, they was like, I think it was like 85, whatever. They called it Micromania, not 84. And man, you could not go nowhere, man. I mean, he was on Friday Night Videos. Uh, his videos was on there. Uh, and uh, they were playing his videos on the Breaking Bad, Sand Soul Train. Sound of Gold was still, was still on. Uh, I mean, he was just everywhere, man. That's how powerful he was. I mean, and at that time, black kids, they were dressing up like him and stuff, you know, having their, you know, hair process and mm. wearing the full of the beaded jackets and stuff. Mm. Um, and, then, and, then at the, and then at that time, they had like the Michael Jackson contest and stuff. Uh, what else? Uh, there was a Michael Doll, I believe. Oh, yeah, Michael Doll. And, you know, and plus, you know, he had his uh, wax figure at that time and stuff, you know. And, and then he had a second style walk of fame as a solo artist, previous from his, his early work with, with his brothers. Uh, you know, it's, it's just crazy, man. Uh, you know, I mean, to, just to see all that happen, his pop, his, his popularity went through the roof bigger than it ever was and stuff. Mm. And, and just to see that, man, it just, it's just phenomenal. Yeah, in your opinion, was there one cut that was on the outtakes that you felt could have made the final nine, or was it where you felt like it was right that that cut was left off and only issued out on the reissue? Oh man, I tell you though, know, like no fit, you know, uh, looking back at Michael Jackson's state, or even if Michael was alive, you know, he could have added. Uh, he could have added Carousel on the album. Yeah, I, I like I like Carousel. It was a good album. Wasn't that written by Michael Sambello? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, it, you know, it, it could have been on the album because I felt like that. That's all. I mean, it, it didn't necessarily have to be like a release single, or anything like that. It could have been on that album because I feel like it, it fitted. You know, for that, for that track, whatever reason, it wasn't even on there. I guess Michael was very conscious of. What to put, not to put, you know, uh, on there. But I wish he could have had uh, added on there. And I'm glad in a way that, I mean, I like the song Sunset Driver. It's a great song, but it was too funky. And I was like, that song should have been on Off the Wall. It sounded more like an Off the Wall type of track and stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
but yeah, but just uh yeah, carousel that should have been like the last final cut, I believe, and stuff. I think that would have been like 10 tracks. Yeah, that would have been 10. It would have been after uh The Lady in My Life. And let's talk about that track. Cause for me, that's my favorite track off of that album. Yeah, Lady in My Life. You know what, man? I tell you, dude, uh uh I wish Michael could have shot a video for that. Facts. Because that song, it's funny. Even though it was it was popular then, but it became more successful, you know, once the internet came involved and everything else. That song's still in 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 quiet star rotation of different Cyrus XLs and everything else. And I said, man, have Michael would least have Michael would have shot a short film for that song. That song went number one, of course. It would have took off to the next level. But I, you know, with Michael, he said one of his interviews, what his biggest mistake was, he wished he would have shot more videos uh, for Thriller. And he said he made up, you know, you know, you know, he made sure that when he did the bad album, he shot a lot of videos. So that was kind of like, you know, you know, what what could have been for Thriller. But uh, yeah, Lady My Life, it was dope, man, because that's everybody's favorite track. People like Dio, Subget, Usher, Subget. Different artists that cover that man. That's a great song. I, I was shocked that song never was a, a a single for whatever reason, man. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you know Michael, man, he put so much energy into that man. That's one thing, Michael. You know, singing, you know, rock or pop songs and stuff. When it comes to R and B, man, man, he finesses it, man. He takes it to a different level. Yep, that that's definitely his wheelhouse, and you know, LL Cool J and Boyz Man sampled "Lady in My Life" for "Hey Lover." And if he would have shot a video for that album, it would have been kind of almost similar to "Without the Godfather" storyline and Jermaine's "Do What You Do" video. Very simple, oh, yeah. very seductive, yeah. very flirtatious, yeah, so, very playful. Yeah, I believe so because had he would have done that, man, that would have been a great video. Uh, Michael's vision, I could just only imagine what that would have uh, uh, did and stuff like that, man. I, and no, for a fact, video someone played the hell out of it. <laughs> that probably would have been on Ben I Love. Ben I Love, Ben I Love too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that yeah. would have been on Ben I Love, man, and right. stuff. And, uh, but you know, man, you know, I, I tell you, man, record labels, man, they make bad business decisions because mm-hmm. my thing, like, okay, you know, we all, we, we all got three videos out, beat it. Uh, I mean, Billy G beat it and Thriller, but they should put a video out. I mean, Human Nature, it, it should be a music video for Human Nature, you know, say Later My Life, uh, Pretty Young Thing. I mean, you know, say, you know, an other song may be by it should have been a video for that too. So mm-hmm. I don't know why it wasn't because those songs, man, like Later My Life and all those, they had so much video vision appeal to it. So I don't mm-hmm. know why they didn't work out there like that. Yeah, I mean, just go ahead and shoot a video for your whole album because that's what Beyonce did for Lemonade where she shot a video for every single song off of that album. Michael had that same power the way he could have did that with Thriller where I'm just going to do a video for all the songs. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I like about when he did the Bad Album. He shot like there to almost every video except for I Can't I can't Just Stop Loving You and the other song, Good Friends with Stevie Wonder off the Bad Album. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, man, I tell you, dude, uh, Thriller, man, you know, the album was big, but I wish you could have shot with Beatles for that because the album was a monster, man. Right. It's old. It's like, you know, once you start something, it's, it's hard to hold back. But I think, well, see, back in those days, artists was limited to, to what they could put out compared mm-hmm. to 
how it is now. Mm, you still had to go through those gatekeepers and they're approved yeah. or denied what can get put out. And I felt uh, had Michael's label not blocked uh, the release of Tell Me I'm Not Dreaming as a single, that would have been huge. If that oh would have been on Thriller in addition to Jermaine's album, I think that was off the, was it off Dynamite? That that yeah, Tell Dynamite. Me I'm Not Dreaming uh, was on? Yeah, because Michael, because Michael, Michael was already on the track. Yeah, it was weird though because, like, okay, it's it's like they gave it a green light for him to say 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 with Paul McCartney, but then we give a green light to him. I'm not dreaming with his brother. That didn't make sense, even though we number one on the dance charts for like six weeks. But still, it should have been a official release single. They could have shot a video for that, man. I did. I never understood that, man. It just it just something about the no matter what Jermaine did. They always try to find ways to segregate him and stuff. And they do that to like a lot of artists, man, that even though like you're not like a lead singer, but they'll find ways to kind of halt you back. And that happens to a lot of people, mm. man. Right. Yeah. Because you no know, sidebar, Jermaine's solo career was no slouch. I mean, Jermaine had hits. His albums were dope. And then, of course, when Janet came in, did her thing. And then, as we saw in the documentary that she released, she stated that, hey, if y'all going to go back and do a reunion tour, I'll open up for you all. It was to where it wasn't no sibling rivalry amongst all of them. It was where, hey, my success is your success. Because I'm sure Michael, of course, was Janet's biggest fan. There was a video of him dancing to, I believe, Miss You Much or The Knowledge. And he said those were his two favorite records of Janet's to dance to. Yeah, because... I tell you, man, that that nineteen ninety five performance with Michael Ford on, on uh, MTV. I wish that Michael could have had performed Janet, and they did a scream together. Man, that'd been so huge, dude. I tell you, man, that would have even though they won a lot of awards and stuff for Scream, but I wish they could have performed together. That performance that would have been epic. And the label, man, they try to make them as rivals and stuff, you know, against each other and stuff. And Michael and Janet, man, that that bond as brothers sisters, man, was like one of a kind. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't say they could have had had done that for them. And you know, you know, the thing about Michael, you know, was like he had the power, but it's sad how they try to shut him down, make him go against his sister. To me, you know, once again, Tommy told all of them, man, they all to blame to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the 2300 Jack Street album, I felt, could have been promoted more. Why wasn't she released as a single off of that yeah. album? You know, produced by Teddy, Randy sang lead on that record, and that Randy's in the Gypsies album, highly slept on. Should have been bigger. It should be bigger, man. It just, you know what, man? I'm going to tell you, man, it's weird, man. Uh, I think at that time, People looked at his sister brothers like, oh well, you know, they not, you know, it's like they took him as a joke, like how they did Latoya. And Randy's a dope artist. Mm -hmm. and stuff. I mean, when I listened to uh Jermaine's album, uh You Said, You Said, that album was dope, man, produced by LA Babyface and Daryl Simmons. Songs like I'm a Dream, I'm uh 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 what's the song? I dream, I dream, New Jack Sweet, dope, mm -hmm. man. And, and just for some reason, man, don't get our love and stuff. And of course, these labels, they give they, 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 I mean, like, they will lie to you. It's like a relationship. Like, a girl tells you, I'll give you the world, and then turn around, and you end up with bad results and stuff. 
Yeah, it was definitely, you know, the whole divide and conquer where, you know, these labels, like you said, they say that they love you, they behind you, but as soon as something goes wrong, they'll, that's why it's important to have strong people in your corner, especially if your family, everybody got to be tight like this, and you can't have outside sources do this. Yeah, and that's crazy, man, because I think the label realized you know, it's like, okay, you, you, you allow Michael and Janet be together, but you will let them, you know, like, whatever Michael did his parts, you will let it Janet do her parts. I never understood that, man. I never understood it at all, man. To me, that's a pretty slap in the face, you know. But uh, running back to Thriller, uh, you know, ever since I started doing R&B when I left Hip Hop Alone in 2016, you know, I swear, man, you look on any charts, man, Thriller is still there, man. I mean, it's on the charts no matter who the artist is, no matter who hot it is, it's always in that Billboard 200 are the end of the, 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 the top 30, you know, uh, album uh, street platform on the RB side or on the pop side. It's crazy, man. That album still, still burning heat, man. Mm, it's still top amongst greatest albums of all time. And with the younger generation now, like kids that were born in the 2000s, do you think the legacy of that album? will still stand the test of time with the musical taste of the younger generation being totally different than our taste and how things are now consumed in short sound bites with things made for TikTok and social media where it's very instant because I would doubt kids of the day would have the ability to listen to an album straight through for 40 minutes. Yeah, that you know, that album will still still run. You know, the album still running today. I believe that uh the album was still, you know, it's it's crazy, but you mentioned that too, though, because you got kids that never grew up with Michael, but they do all his dance moves, or they be inspired by him. Uh, that album will always will resonate, in my opinion, because, like you said, the TikTok videos, people do covers of it, uh, people do covers through SoundCloud and everything else. Uh, yeah, that album was still, even 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 after you and I are gone, the album was still, you know, uh, uh, resonate. You know, because, you know, for what that album did, man, it just, uh, I tell you, man, it just one of its kind, man. It, it's, it's hard to put in words, man. Yeah, because, you know, with my son, you know, born in 08, we were, my wife and I we were watching, I believe it was a Michael video. It was a live performance. And he was like, you know, what is this? And we was like, this is Michael Jackson. And we're all happy and excited about it. He was like, oh. But then I had to take into account, okay, born in 08, Michael passed the year after. So yeah. like you said, these kids, they didn't grow up with him. They only know of him from parents' memories, grandparents' memories, and what they find on the internet. So they can't really understand the magnitude right. and just the big of an impact that he was. Yeah, because it's funny, man, because this generation... And I see little stuff, man. People are like, all oh, these persons buried in Michael Jackson. I'm gonna say this, you know, no offense to Beyonce. You know, she's a amazing artist, but she's not on a Michael Jackson level. I'm sorry. Because one, until you do the moonwalk, <laughs> until you do the lead, and, and you know, until you do the robot, until you had the same amount of album sales that Michael Jackson had and broke barriers, talk to me. But come on, man. I'm not worried about no beehives. I'm not worried about none of that because 
that's a problem because the problem, you know, this this industry is so racism. You know, and then the bad part about our people, we'll play it too and be like, but damn, is is she or he better Michael Jackson? Come on now. You know, that to me that's a slap in the face because for one, and this ain't got to do with Beyonce, just the people, man, that, that start that crap. You know, just like when they try to put Prince and Michael, you know, against each other. It's like there's certain things Michael can do, Prince can do. There's certain things that Prince can do that Michael can do. For one, Prince is a bad artist. Mm-hmm. You know, he plays guitar. You know, he does a lot of bad stuff. Michael, you know, you know, he's a uh, he's an entertainer. You know, he could dance, he could do all the little things and stuff like that. They are two different people. You know, why try why, why try have a go against each other? That's like having that's like trying to say Michael LeBron, you know, trying to say is LeBron Brady Michael Jackson. I mean, I mean Michael Jordan for one. Michael Jordan, you know, he will fight you to the end until he gets that win. You know, Michael Jordan, he's a beast and stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And but uh but anyway, um you know, but but like I was saying that it's not against Beyonce, but she's not on Michael Jackson level. Only the only artist that's compared to Michael Jackson is Sister Janet. She done broke half of his records, you know, and she's very similar to him. So mm-hmm. how can you say, say you know, is, is Justin Timberlake the next King of Pop, or is is Beyonce the next Michael Jackson? Come on, man, this industry, man, I tell you, man, it's a joke, and I, I, you know, it's sad because we allow these bozos come in the game and destroy us for all the wrong reasons. Stuff. That's why I hate about stuff like that. Yeah, because I believe it was Rolling Stone UK. They had labeled Harry Styles, formerly of One Direction, as the new king of pop. And that caused a fury to so much so to where Taj had to come out and say, don't associate that title with him because that title is only reserved for my uncle. Yeah, the king of pop, the one true king of pop. But like you mentioned, Beyonce, Beyonce, Chris Brown, Usher, Omarion, Bobby Brown, all of them were students of Michael. Yeah, all of Michael's blueprint. Yeah, Michael birthed it all those black artists because you know, we think about Bobby Brown, you know, at at that time, the Dolby Crew era, you know, he was like, you know, up there, you know. You know, uh, uh, the under the, the whole Michael Jackson. You know, when it comes to great performance, being a being an artist and stuff like that. Chris Brown and shouts to Chris Brown to put the air. Like Chris Brown said, you know, I'm not better than Michael Jackson. So you know, Michael Jackson. You know, he's on a different universe and stuff like that because people don't pay attention when you look at. Uh, you know, I put it like this way: you never hear nobody say, "Oh man, you see what you see what Beyonce did? Oh man, that was incredible, man." I mean, what you do, just shake her hips, and that was it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, they, you know, that's that's ridiculous, man. Because like with Michael, Michael put his whole energy into it. I mean, anytime you have, you know, people want to do the robot, want to do the moonwalk in the lead, that's saying something. Mm-hmm. You know, you got people dressing like you all the time, that's saying something. When people want to act like you, that's saying something. You know, I rather hear anybody say. Oh man, you see what Beyonce did? Oh man, that's amazing stuff. And, you know, it's just crazy, man. You know, I I hate that and stuff. Not take away from her, but Beyonce's built different. When I think about Beyonce, I think about Tina Turner. Mm-hmm. You know, with the with the with the blonde dye in the hair, 
and the way she dresses, the way she carries herself. I think about Tina Turner. I don't see, when I look at her, I don't see her as like, oh, man, that's Michael Jackson. No. I see her as like a second addition to Tina Turner. Mm -hmm. And that's where people forget it. It's like she's not the next Michael Jackson. You, I can see you call her next Tina Turner, but she's not the next Michael, Michael Jackson. Y'all need to stop capping, go to Dr. Bison's, whatever, and get some new glasses and get, get your hair fixed, please. Mm. Man, but I'm thinking Hattie would have lived and put on This Is It, boy. I don't think there would have been no place in the world that would hold the amount of people that would have came for that show if oh, that would have came to fruition. Oh, my God, man. You know, if you know if, if, if Michael was in better condition and stuff, he would have done This Is It. Oh, man, that would have been phenomenal, man. That would have been phenomenal, man. That would have been. And then, like, the outfit he was going to wear, you know, for that tour, oh man, you know, that was gonna be incredible, man, just to see that uh, alone and stuff. Yeah, that would have been massive. Yeah, that definitely been a residency show where, like KC said in Phoenix, take my money, my house, and my car. Some people would have <laughs> risked it all, dumped out their entire savings. I don't care if it's a nosebleed, I'm going to go see this show. Yeah, yeah, because that's the thing, too, because, you know, Mike was at a point where he got tired of going, you know, different cities. I think after This Is It, I think his goal was to do uh, a Las Vegas residency, you know what I'm saying, and just do shows there, but have them spaced out and stuff like that. That would have been a incredible, man, just to see that, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Where he would have to travel this place or that place, he could just be there wherever, how long he wanted to be and stuff. That would be huge, man, uh, just to see, you know, how incredible that... Uh, you know, like what could have been and stuff. And yeah, stuff, you know. Right. And uh just a sidebar real quick, what's your take on Vegas now really welcoming urban acts to the strip for the residencies? Cause you know, we're seeing Bruno's short residencies at Park MGM. You have Usher's residency at Caesars. I believe New Edition is working on a residency out in Vegas. And it kind of seems like the tide is turning to where you're not really seeing just your popping country acts on the strip anymore. You're seeing a lot more urban acts. And of course, Boyz Men is already out there making crazy money with their residency. So what's your take now on Vegas really welcoming urban acts with open arms for residencies? You know, it's easy to say what took so long, but I'm glad that artists are getting a chance to, you know, finally be accepted and stuff because you know, here it is, you know, you know, New Edition, you know, Bruno Mars, all these artists, man, they done made history. They did a lot of amazing stuff. And I'm glad they finally get it just do New Edition should have been had a Las Vegas residency. But, you know, of course, you know, to have the right type of agency around them, the right type of team around them, not these groupies and stuff, but that's a whole different conversation, you know, for the topic on that part. But, uh, I'm glad they finally, you know, these artists finally get it just do because these artists, man, they done, you know, made their mark. They got done approved and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that all of them is finally, you know, finally get a Las Vegas residency because they work so hard, man. Mm -hmm. And what makes so bad half of artists that we are a fan of, here it is, here it is, new edition. They don't even have, they're, they're not even the Rockwell Hall of Fame yet. Not even nominate. That's coming. Yeah. And here it is. They the only group to, as what they be a number one as a group, they was number one as solo. Every last one of them went number one. And that 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 needs to happen. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is coming for a new edition. I think Bobby was just on TMZ and said that they're going to be going back out on the road in March because, you know, that's the one thing about new edition. They're like blocks where when they're all together, all six, they can do their thing, but you can break them apart, all go off on tour as separate entities, and they're still just as effective. Yeah, and that's one thing about new edition because, you know, when it comes to boy bands, when I think about new edition, you know, you know, I said this on the post and stuff. You know, the Jackson Five gave birth to New Edition, but what New Edition is today, because the way the Jackson Five affected black kids to be what you want to be, the same way New Edition affected a lot of black kids in the '80s to be what you want to be. You know, to be a great artist, or you, or you want to start a group and stuff like that. You know, to be inspired. And uh, I'm glad New Edition get the, you know get the just do. I think it's time. Uh, I can't wait to get a Rock Hall of Fame because once they get that Rock Hall of Fame, you got nothing to prove. You know, case closed, you know, game over, you know what I'm saying? On to the next one. And I'm glad that they will finally, you know, get their flowers because, you know, they definitely deserve it. They definitely deserve, you know, their flowers and stuff because, I mean, you go on Facebook and you type in new edition, so many fan pages, man, from business pages, group pages. I mean, it's everywhere, man. I mean, they are an institution. They are the culture because Candy Girl not beat it off of the R&B singles chart when that came out. And that was doing Michael at his height. You know, five yep. black boys from Boston, later Johnny Gill from D.C. joined and how all six of them changed the face of not only R&B, but pop culture. And I also got to mention this too, Anita Baker, Vegas residency yeah. as well. And I think a lot of people kind of slept on how huge she was because she was just just as huge you know that rapture album crazy yeah man i mean you know she won multiple grammys won multiple soul trade awards and stuff you know the thing about you know labels and stuff man they they market you only on one side but not the whole global it was like she had like one album that went number one on the pop side was that album uh give you the best that i got mm-hmm. and the way that these, you know, that's the thing too. I said it so many times. You know, what what one thing about being a black artist, and one thing I hate about it too, because so many black YouTube bloggers, they play as two that stuff too. Is that okay? It's one thing you go number one or the top ten or top twenty or how one hundred. They'll treat a black artist like they're a one hit wonder. Here it is. You know, Freddie Jackson got ten number one RB hits. Nobody ever talks about that. Stevie Wonder and Richard Frank got twenty. Number one RB hits. They got they're the only one got the most. Nobody ever talks about that. Even though they very successful, but they never talk about that. You know, and all these artists got so many number one RB hits. They never talk about that. But they treat RB as RB will always be the stepchild, and that's sad. Mm-hmm. You know, and RB came out first before there was even a pop. So right. you know, it's, it's 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 crazy, man. How that is. You know, always the brass made, but never the bride. Yeah, because I put it this way. If you ask a white fan, you know, what's your favorite song by Ace Town, they would say Knocking the Boots. But if you ask a black fan, what's your favorite song by Ace Town, they would say, uh, 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 what's the song, Part-Time Lover, They Lie Between Love and Hate, and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's sad because that's kind of how it is like that because, uh, you know, labels, they play into that BS, you know, mm-hmm. as well. To me, I don't think it's cool. Because my thing like is, if you're going to push one song heavy, Push all of it. 
Right. And that's the one thing, another sidebar that I appreciated about New Kids on the Block is that they always let it be known. New Edition started this for us. If yep. it wasn't for them, it would be no us. Because some people don't know, New Kids were signed to the R&B division at Columbia. They were marketed as an R&B group. Please Don't Go Girl initially was only seen on BET. But then it right. wasn't until a pop station in Tampa started playing them. That was when the whole pop phenomenon came along. But that was where all five of them were always like, hey, New Edition started it. We're just right. doing the same thing that they're doing on the pop side, but always making it known that, hey, our roots are this. It didn't start with us. Yeah, because, you know, they birthed them out and stuff. And you know, they never want to give a black artist credit of, of what a black artist, you know, done started and stuff, you know, because that's what trips me out about that. Because I'm, I'm glad that, you know, you know, the new kids on the block always praise new edition. You guys too, man. Because how can you say, oh man, you know, they're the greatest boy band ever out of Boston. Wait a minute now, new edition came first out of Boston. So, you know, every solo artist, every group is the is, is the kicks on the birth of, of how artists are today and stuff. You know, how can you sit here and forget about, you know, uh, who did what? To me, that's a bunch of BS, man. I can't respect no, no individual sit here and not mention, you know, who started this and stuff. And and that's the real and that's the real truth, man. You know, I I can't, I can't stand, you know, they do it. But that's what I like about New Kids on the Block because they don't forget you know, who inspired it, man. So, yeah, right. you know, and, and New Kids on the Block are the second edition to New Edition. Mm, the, the pop counterpart to New Edition, and to think both of those groups, Maurice Starr discovered New Edition, Maurice Starr created New Kids, a black man created the biggest yep. pop group in the world, a black man. So let's give Maurice Starr his credit and his flowers. But tying that back in to Michael Jackson, one last thing I want to ask you before we get on out of here. If you can sum up Michael Jackson's legacy in the impact of the Thriller album, how would you sum it up? Timeless. You know, all the reason why I say that because you can say a classic, but to me it's timeless because here it is to this day, man. Michael's whole career alone you know, he inspired so many kids, man. I mean, from a little boy to a grown man. I mean, when it comes to having conversations of, you know, who's the greatest black artist of all time, you know, Michael's in that top five, you know. And so he would be enjoying the time he'd be number one, you know, besides whoever they like and stuff, you know. Uh, when it comes to albums, people always debate between Thriller and Off the Wall all the time, you know, what, which album's better than who and stuff. Uh, Michael been a heavy influence on a lot of artists, man. Because whenever I interview an artist, they always mention Michael Jackson. Or they'll mention uh, his brothers, you know, be influenced on them and stuff. So Michael's always mentioned, you know, throughout, you know, uh, the globe and stuff. You know, the impact that Michael did, he was a social media before social media. Because as a kid, you know, growing up in the 80s and a teenager by the 90s, you couldn't go nowhere without seeing Michael's face on TV, magazines, the matter if it was good or bad, Michael was like, damn, they're everywhere, you know, growing up. But uh, Michael, man, uh, he's timeless, man. I mean, you could say classic, but classic, you know, classic to me is like, it's, it's like a one-hit water perspective. Timeless is longevity. You know, see, like you go to family cookouts, somebody play a Michael Jackson. 
You go to somebody's birthday party, somebody play a Michael Jackson. Somebody's in a car, somebody play a Michael Jackson. Uh, you know, somebody clean up the house or whatever. Somebody play a Michael Jackson. Michael's everywhere. You know, you go to these uh uh these little uh elementary schools, uh, was it uh where they do like the little performance and stuff, tribute artists and stuff. You know, they play a Michael Jackson. So some kid doing a moonwalk, not just here in America, but like a whole universe. Somebody dressing up as Michael Jackson, no matter whether you're black, white, uh, Mexican, whatever, somebody's, you know, is this uh Michael's phenomenon, man. Yep, definitely uh well said. So any current projects you got, shout outs you want to give, and also plug all your socials, bro, before we wrap. Okay, yeah. Uh man, just want to say, you know, uh shouts to the fans, man. You know, uh, you know, RB So Fake TV, you know, uh, you know, you know, Therese 40,000 40, followers on Facebook, man. You know, I ain't put nobody behind it, no boss or nothing, all that's organic. You know, shouts to the fans for always showing love, even the legends too, as well, man. You know, they show me love. I don't want to say the names. Maybe, maybe like I'm showing favoritism. But anyway, uh, what I got going on next, uh, next year, like around spring or summer, I will be doing uh, album release parties, DJing for certain uh, independent artists. And I will have my first official concert, you know, here in Little Kentucky. Uh, I don't want to mention the names, but I'm, I, as few that uh, I got in mind, I'm, I'm putting together. But RB Sofake TV, man will be on Roku soon, I guarantee, man. So, uh, you know, bring back that video soul, man, of how it used to be back in the day. So uh, people call me the Dottie Simpson, man, you know, of this generation. I appreciate that. My thing like this, you know, I don't want to be like him, but but at the same time, you know, I appreciate people that I, I remind them of that. So I'm blessed, man. Yeah, man, my boy, stay putting in the work. And you can catch this interview wherever you stream podcasts and also on YouTube, youtube.com slash beyond the album cover. And to stay updated with all things related to the podcast, go to facebook.com slash beyond the album cover. Once again, my brother from another mother, Mr. Solar Fat of RB Solar Fat TV. Bro, thank you once again for coming on. No problem, man. You know, say, let's do this again, man. Bet.